uh, worship the King. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for your love towards us. We thank you that you provide for our needs, especially our spiritual needs and the opportunity we have for salvation through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to be like us, to show us how to live a righteous life, overcome sin, and bring glory to thy name, and die a death, Father, that we really do deserve. We've got that second chance, and we are so appreciative for that. Uh, we pray that you forgive us our sins as we claim the blood that he shed there. And fathers, we come together here on this Sabbath day to open your word, to eat of the bread of life. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon each one of us, to clear our minds from preconceived ideas. We want to know what the Bible has to say. And we want to exercise faith and stand on the promises that we learn about from your holy word. And Father, we pray for those who can be with us here this morning. Be with those who are traveling to houses of praise and worship. And uh, Lord, uh, be with those who are sick, those who are ill, those who are having difficulties. Be very near to them. Help us to serve uh, our family and neighbors and, and those in need. We thank you again for Jesus. And we pray this in his blessed name, for he's so worthy. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, friends, uh, this is part four in the, the group of studies about overcoming sin. And I've entitled this one, uh, Overcoming Sin Step by Step. <laughs> and so as we begin today, uh, I want to say that the steps to overcoming uh, sin that I've been presenting are the steps involved uh, for every single human being. Uh, because when it comes to the sin issue, it begins um, and it ends with the individual. Now, because of that, the emphasis for most pulpits uh, when they talk about sin and dealing with sin is usually then limited to the individual's experience. But the consequences of sin reach outside the individual, not only to uh, other individuals, but to groups and nations, uh, even worlds, friends. And often, uh, uh, speaking about that part of this, the sin issue, it gets neglected. It gets neglected. You know, God being um, omniscient, uh, he solved the sin issue right at its source by sending his son, who was an individual. But his answer to sin had an effect outside the individual as well. So when we look at uh, these steps, and we take these steps as individuals in overcoming sin, the effect will ripple out, see? It'll ripple out, just like sin ripples out, the effects of overcoming sin will ripple out to other individuals, to groups, to nations, to, to worlds. And I don't want you to be left ignorant of the principles that deal with the effects of those ripples. See, So in the coming studies, we're going to look at what the Bible says about how to deal with the sin issue that falls outside the individual sphere, so to speak, as there's a lot to learn in that regard. Uh, um, and, and friends, I'll tell you, it's a deception from Satan to believe that sin only affects the one that's committing it. You know, I hear sayings all the time like this, 
And uh, I'm sure you probably have heard something like this too. They'll say, well, what I do in my own house doesn't affect you. Or, what you do in your own home is nobody's business. You know, have you ever heard anything like that? All kinds of saying like sayings like that are fundamentally, friends, based on a lie. Sin affects all creation in every instance, period. God tells us that. And we need to understand that and accept that. Now, you know, I realize that, that most people say these things uh, to imply that, that you're free to choose to do what you want as long as it doesn't affect someone else, as long as it doesn't affect me to do, you see, what I want to do. Uh, and there's some truth to that idea. The, the freedom of each individual to choose, God has given to each one of us. But never, friends, never get the idea that someone else's sin has no effect on anyone else other than them, because it does. Adam sinned in his own home, in the garden, and look what happened because of the choice that he made. It affects us all. It affects all creation. Let me say this. When Lucifer sinned, God did not just remove him from heaven and say, look, you go to your new home there in the garden, there on earth, and what you do there in your own home, in your garden, in the garden there is nobody's business. God didn't do that, did he now, friends? He didn't do that, beloved. Sin affects us all, especially, and I'll say this, especially the most secret of sins people tried to hide from all in their own home. You see, friends, there's a reason. There is a reason the Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It's not, as many believe, it's not primarily because God's going to reveal your sin to all, we're told that God wants to take our sins and cast them into the sea. Nobody can find it or see it. That's not the reason. The reason is because that that is the very nature of sin. Friends, you cannot hide selfishness in a world of selflessness. Eventually, your selfishness is going to find you out. And it'll come to the surface. Unfortunately, uh, God has given us a book of principles on how to rightly deal with the sin issue. Uh, like I said before, even past the individual stage, though it always begins there. And uh, it will end there, too. So, in the coming studies, I'll be addressing these other principles on how to deal with sin, you know, in, in groups. And we'll kind of look at... Uh, uh, nations and things like that. Corporate sin, corporate accountability as laid out by the Word of God. But because so many Christians have this you know, false idea about sin and, and its effects, they cannot see the importance of looking so deeply into this subject as we have looked into it in this series. Uh, but I want to tell you, friends, I want to tell you, this may be the most important subject uh, for us who are living in the last days. This subject 
is actually the theme of the last generation of God's people that are symbolized you know, there in Revelation, the book of Revelation, by the 144,000. It is exactly what the 144,000 will be separated from, and that's vital for us to know and understand. Don't you agree? The sin issue is the theme, and we better know all about it if we wish to be a part of that last generation that's going to be alive when Jesus comes so that we can see him face to face without even seeing death. Oh, what an incredible day that's going to be. God is preparing a people, friends. He's preparing a people that will testify, you see. They will testify by their character that his son did not die in vain. And that's what he's preparing. He's preparing a people right now. He's preparing a people that completely and perfectly represent his son in character and thus have been baptized, you see, with his baptism of sufferings and victories. And uh, I want to ask you, do you want to be one of those people? You know, we, we're counseled, we are to strive to be one of those people. And, and so I want to be one of those people. I, when I see Jesus and look at myself, I curl up. There's no way. You know, I can, I'm like, Lord, please show mercy upon me, a sinner. Uh, but uh, the promise, God has given us the promise. Keep looking to Jesus and we'll have victory. And that's what we've been talking about here in the, in, uh, the last few studies, about overcoming sin. And so, as we begin here this morning, I want to invite you to open the book, uh, uh, the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Now, the, the last chapters in the Bible are chapters that we should really take special time to study. And I encourage you to do so. Right at the end of the book, God gives final and closing instructions uh, to his people. He gives instructions to us. And some of the most important instructions and commands in the Bible are actually found in the last three or four chapters of the Bible. But let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And here in Revelation chapter 21, the new earth and the new heavens, where there's going to be no more death, uh, and no more pain and no more sorrow. It's described there in, you know, the first, uh, what is it, the first four verses. That's being described. And then we read the following. If we go to verse 5, we read the following. It says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now here in these verses, uh, friends, there are pointed out two categories of people, isn't there? The first category tells of those that overcome. If you overcome, the Lord says, I'm going to give you everything. You're going to inherit everything. You're not going to have to earn it. 
Pardon me? It says I'm still good. Sorry, friends. Somebody's lost the connection somewhere. I hope we're still on. Uh, but, uh, you know, God is saying that you're going to inherit everything. You're not going to have to earn it. In fact, you know, we, we found in our studies here about the sin issue, uh, if we didn't know it before, it's impossible to earn it. <laughs> See? I'm going to give it to you, God says. And he says, these words are faithful and true. Well, what if I look at this list and and uh, I see this and I don't overcome? What if I'm actually in the category of people that are listed in verse 8? You know, the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. What if I find myself, I look at myself, I'm honest with myself, and I go, oh my Lord, I'm in that list. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. There will be people in heaven that have done all those things listed in verse 8. Okay, But while they were still alive in this world, a change happened to them. The Bible calls that being born again or conversion. Jesus said being born again. They decided to take the steps that we have been studying to turn their backs on their former way of life. And they overcame their former bad habits and sins. You know, think about, especially in the Old Testament, but it's not just limited there. Uh, can you think of any murderers in the Bible that you know are going to be saved? Yeah. Well, sure. Moses, wasn't Moses a murderer? Mm -hmm. He killed the Egyptian man, didn't he? Manasseh. David, David was a man of blood, let me tell you. He was a warrior. What about Paul, the Apostle Paul? All of those people were murderers, and all of these people are going to be saved. And you say, well, how can they be saved? Well, the reason that they're going to be saved is because they repented of what they had done. Then they confessed their sins, and they turned their heart over to the Holy Spirit, and they, be, they overcame those evil habits. They were born again. They became overcomers. And, and they're going to receive the robe of Christ. And that's what we want too, isn't it? We want to have that robe that Jesus offers to each one. So if you are in one of those categories that's listed there in, in verse 8, you can be saved if you are willing to change, if you are willing to be made willing to overcome, to be born again and overcome. And frankly, friends, the more uh, you read this passage of Scripture, the more you see how important overcoming sin really is. It's not enough for me, you see, uh, to come to church or to make a profession of religion. That's not enough. It's never been enough. I have to overcome. If I'm going to receive eternal life, I have to overcome. If I don't overcome, I'm not going to receive eternal life. Even if I go to church, even if I make a profession of religion, or if I preach or teach or do any of those things, in fact, I will tell you, even if I know the three angels' messages and have all that knowledge, if I don't overcome, that I'm not going to be saved. Knowledge is important, but knowledge does not save us. We have to be born again. Jesus has to be 
our Lord and Savior. This is a, a theme that is recorded uh, over and over and over again you know, in the book of Revelation, the necessity of overcoming sin. You know, if you go back to the beginning of Revelation, if you look in Revelation 2, uh, chapters 2 and 3, you'll find that to each of the seven churches, uh, the promise of salvation is given only to those who overcome sin. Now, some people say, well, what, a, what, is overcome, what, do you, what does this mean? What does overcome mean? The word overcometh there means, in the English, it means to carry off the victory. It means to come off victorious. And I like this. It means to win the case, which I find extremely accurate uh, uh, considering, friends, that we each have a court case pending at the judgment bar of God. We must overcome. We must conquer. We must win our case. Look at Revelation 3, verse 21. Let's go to Revelation 3, 21, like I was saying. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. So, when you think about this, you realize as we draw closer and closer to the end of the world that it becomes more critical to overcome sin, to win our case in the judgment. Now, it's always been critical uh, to overcome because if you don't overcome before you die, you're lost, friends. That's the way it is. And that's the way it's, it's always been. That's always been the case. The problem is that there are always people that think that because of their age, you know, or some other reason, death is a long ways away. So they think, well, I can enjoy the pleasures of sin, you know, for a while, and then I can overcome later. I'll get it in there before I finish my race. Well, friends, do you realize that when probation closes, truly now, listen to me, when probation closes and the end of the world does come, you realize there are going to be some people that are just 20 years old? Mm -hmm. There will there, be some people in the world that are just 10 years old. Have you ever thought about that? So as we draw closer and closer to the, the end of the world and the close of probation, it becomes absolutely vital for every one of us, no matter what our age is, to study carefully what the Bible says about how to overcome sin because we have to be an overcomer. It would be cruel, I think, and some people think God is cruel, sad to say. But it would be cruel to tell people or preach to people and say that you or I need to overcome if we uh, don't know what or how. That'd be cruel, wouldn't it? So understanding the sin issue uh, is of an eternal importance, isn't it? Now let's go back to Revelation 3 and verse 21. Let's go back to... to Revelation 3 and verse 21. There's just a very small word here uh, that I want you to look at with me. Actually, it's a much bigger word in the Greek, uh, but in the English language, it only has two letters. It only has two letters. Very small word. This two-letter word holds the secret, though, uh, about how we are to overcome. And 
I know you're probably going, what are you talking about? A small little word like that has the secret on how we can overcome? Well, let's go to Revelation 3, verse 21. Let me show it to you. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even... Now, the next word is the two-word in the King James Version. He says, Even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. What does that word as mean? Well, Webster defines the word to mean like, even, similar, or in the same way. Okay? Now go back to the text. If I'm going to overcome temptation, my overcome my evil tendencies and overcome sin, how am I going to do it? I'm going to do it like Jesus did. Even as Jesus did. Similar to the way Jesus did. In the same way that Jesus did. That's what it's saying to us in Revelation 3 and verse 21. So we need to know something. (laughs) We need to know something about Jesus if we want to overcome sin, right? And I'll tell you, friends, Do not fall for the smooth words of those who say that all roads lead to heaven. It's a lie of the devil, friends. The truth is that there is only one road to heaven, and it is the pathway of Jesus Christ. The only way we're going to overcome sin is to do it as Jesus did it. Acts 4 Verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone, speaking of Jesus, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name, that name is Jesus Christ, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Does it sound like all roads lead to heaven to you? So we must know this Jesus if we want to be saved. And we must know this Jesus and do what he did if we want to overcome sin. And my friend, I'll tell you by experience that there is a change that will take place in your life when you get to know Jesus. If you get to know Jesus and there are no changes in your life, there's a problem somewhere. You may be getting to know that false Christ that Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about. But history testifies, friends, to the changes that occurred in the lives of people who got to know this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is in the business, you see, of changing people, changing them into his own image. And as we studied before, it's not left up to us to introduce ourselves to him. You know, if if it was left up to us, uh, we never would. We'd never do it. But rather, it's God that introduces himself to us in some way. Jesus said in John 3, 
verses 14 and 15, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So friends, at some time in everyone's life, sometime, now I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers about, you know, uh, why babies pass away or why someone young die. I don't have those answers. But I know that God loves every each and every one of us and He's trying to reach our hearts. So at some time in everyone's life, the Holy Spirit will lift up Jesus to them and introduce the Savior to them in some way. Some people just have one opportunity, friends. Some people get a lot of opportunities. That's something that I, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain. I can't explain why. But that is the case. But at some time in everyone's life, the Holy Spirit is going to lift up Jesus to them and introduce the Savior to them in some way. And when that happens, a decision is made one way or another. We either have an interest to know Him or not. But the great thing that I know about God is that He never gives, gives up. On any one of us. He never gives up lifting Jesus up to us until we make it abundantly clear that we have no interest. And thus we commit the unpardonable sin. And in order for us to take the very first step to overcome sin, we got to be introduced to Jesus in some way. Or we don't know, you know our condition. Remember what Paul says in Romans. He says, without... Without a law, there is no sin. So somehow, the character of God has to be raised and introduced to us. So we have to be introduced to Jesus some way. He must be lifted up to us. And the promise is, when He is lifted up, He's going to draw us to Himself. That's what, that's what the, whole, uh, the whole goal is. To bring us to Christ. And so when Jesus is lifted up, so that we clearly see Him, well, we realize that we've sinned. We've sinned against God and man. We see we don't measure up. We see that no matter what we do, we fall short. We begin to realize our true condition of mortality. And unless there's a change, we come to the realization that we are condemned to die forever. For all eternity, never to live again. But see, you're then led to the truth. You're led to the truth. Jesus is the truth, isn't he? You're led to the truth of why Jesus came here. And that with Jesus, you may be forgiven and have the opportunity to live for eternity with him and hope begins to grow in your heart. And so you're led by Christ to step one in overcoming sin, which is repentance. You're sorrowful for all your sins. You're then led to step two, as Jesus is drawing, see? Step two, you're urged to confess those sins so that they may be blotted out of the book of sins. Then you're led to step three. You're urged to make a choice as to accept Jesus or reject Jesus as your Savior and Lord and receive the Holy Spirit. And as I said before, if you don't accept Jesus, then what's the point of repenting and confessing? 
you'll eventually sin again and again and again and again, and it's never going to stop. So just repenting and confessing doesn't help you. It's necessary, but it's not going to help you unless you take that next step. You see, friends, God cannot take someone to heaven that will continue to sin. It's not going to happen, and it never will happen. Once sin is destroyed, it will be destroyed forever, never to rise up again. Now, we talk about these steps and overcoming, especially these first three steps, and I shared this with you the last time we were together. Jesus gave us an example of this process. You see, he gave us an example because he took these same steps in overcoming sin. He came to John the Baptist, you remember, there to Jordan. He came to to John the Baptist to repent. Now, nothing, he didn't have anything to repent of. Don't get sucked into that. But look at his example. Because he was baptized by John the Baptist, was he not? He did come to John, John the Baptist. So you scratch your head and say, well, why, why did he do that if he never sinned? He, he didn't have personally anything to repent of, for he didn't do any sin, but he represented all of us who have sinned. See? He's our example. So he came and he repented. He came to confess. Again, no personal sins to confess, but he represented all of us who need to confess. And then he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't need to be baptized, right? He already had the Holy Spirit, but he represented us. And because he went through that process, that righteous process as an example, he received the acknowledgement from God out of heaven and that dove coming down that he was indeed God's Son in whom he was well pleased. He was anointed to begin his ministry that work to die for man's sins, that work of ministry. And so, friends, I I have to look at Jesus as an example, remember, to overcome as he did, right? As, that word as. I've got to take those same steps and have that same experience, you know, of coming to Christ, repenting, confessing, you know, accepting Jesus, if I'm going to have victory and overcome in my life. We've got to have the Holy Spirit as Jesus had the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I must look at Jesus lifted up. I must be led to repentance. I must confess my sins. I must choose to receive Christ by faith before I can ever hope to conquer. Before I can ever hope to win my case and be an overcomer. I remember years ago when I was first studying these things, I was very interested when I studied where the word repentance comes from. And it comes uh, uh, where it comes from in the Greek language, which is the original language in the New Testament. Uh, a similar word isn't found all that much in the Old Testament, but repentance is a word that is used constantly throughout the New Testament. Now, they had synonyms for it in the Old Testament, of course. But the basic word... If I was to put it in in layman's terms, the basic uh, word means that you've changed your mind. That's what it means. It means you've changed your mind. Changed your mind about what? Right? Well, you changed your mind about sin. The Bible talks about 
you know, the the temporary pleasures of sin, and, and, and people want those temporary pleasures. But when a person repents, they change their mind about that. The sin that they used to love, yeah, they don't love it too much anymore. They turn they want to turn away from it, see? So they they want to turn away from it and then they begin to hate it and they, they turn away from it. They're sorry that they did it. And repentance, this is why repentance is a gift. It's a gift that we receive from God. However, there is something that we have to do to receive that gift. And if you will study the life of Christ and and, and you make a special study of the closing scenes of the life of Christ so that you understand what it means, that it was because of what, what I did that Jesus had to, to leave heaven, that Jesus chose to, to become a human being like myself and then chose uh, to then go to the cross and die so that I might have life. Well, friends, until you realize that, I'm not so sure that you understand the story of the cross like you should. Until the personal nature of what God has done for you comes home and you're cut to the heart, you're not going to have the experience of repentance that you have to have to be changed. It is in the study of what happened there at the cross that causes a person, you see, to stop loving sin. To not want to do it anymore. To change their mind. So before anything else, we must know this Jesus the Bible talks about. Let me share this with you. It's from the book The Desire of Ages. The Desire of Ages, page 83. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us, our confidence in Him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. Wonderful statement. Wonderful statement. So if you want to be an overcomer, you need to study the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. May it always be fresh in your mind each and every day. And this is going to help lead you. See, that's, that's what the, the story of the life of Christ that draws us. He's being lifted up, you see. And it draws us to Him. And it leads us to repent, confess, choose Jesus, thus receive the Holy Spirit, be baptized into the family of God. You will then have a different mindset, you see, about sin. And until that happens, I'm going to tell you, friends, there's going to be no victory in your life. You're not going to be able to overcome. Now, I want to take a moment here, and I want to share something with you that will give you incredible hope. And, and I say that because it, it gives me incredible hope. And I want to share it with you. 
that gives you hope in this process of overcoming sin. Uh, in Romans chapter 7, uh, if you've studied anything about Rome, you know the book of Romans, you come to chapter 7, there's a description in Romans chapter 7 of a man who does not want to sin anymore, but he doesn't have the power to break loose from it. And this is what having faith is all about, you see, and where it comes into action in our life. And so I want to go to Mark chapter 9. And we talked about, you know, spiritual possession and those things in the last series that we did. And Mark chapter 9 here, this, this kind of stuck out to me. And I want to use it as an example of this hope, uh, the hope that we have. This man brings his possessed son, see, to Jesus, and he's seeking help. He's at the end of his rope, so to speak. He doesn't know what to do. He needs help. And so let's look at Mark 9, verse 22. And he's explaining here to Jesus about his son. His son who he loves very much, or he would have never even cared, see. And he's speaking to Jesus, and he says, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire, this demon, see, and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now look at verse 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, enter no more into him. Here's the story of the man who came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I am in so much trouble. But if you can do anything to help us, please help us. And Jesus said, that's not the problem, whether or not I can help. That's not what's holding things up. That's not the issue. The problem is whether or not you can believe. That's the problem because all things are possible to him who believes. And friends, let me tell you, this is what it means to have faith and exercise faith. You see, there is power in the word of God. And he has already spoken words that deal with every situation we may come into that could cause us to sin. When we look in the Bible, we're not just looking at black and white ink on white pages, black ink on white pages. There's power in, the, in that word. It's inherent in the promise already. And this is what Jesus meant by saying the problem isn't that he cannot help. The problem is not... It's not that he's not willing to help. The problem is in our not believing his word as there's power in his word that help us helps us to conquer sin. I've had people ask me, you know, I need to pray to Jesus to help me to overcome sin. And, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. We all need to pray for Jesus to help us to overcome sin. You know, I need to pray. You think God wants me to overcome this sin? Well, yeah, he's already given a promise for that, you see. There is power in the Word of God that helps us to conquer sin. Our problem is with our lack or unwillingness to believe his Word. 
That's where the problem lies. And this is what Jesus was saying. And the man said, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And Jesus acted upon that faith that he had. Let me share this with you. Speaking about this, it's The Desire of Ages, page 429. Desire of Ages. One of the best, most tremendous books on the life of Christ outside the Bible. It's a, it's a fantastic book. The Desire of Ages, page 429. It says, Look not to self, but to Christ. He who healed the sick and cast out demons when he walked among men is the same mighty Redeemer today. Faith comes by the Word of God. See that? comes by where? The Word of God. What do we find in the Bible? The Word of God. Then grasp His promise. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John 6, 37. Cast yourself at His feet with the cry, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now notice what she says. You can never perish while you do this. Never. Never is a pretty strong word, isn't it? As long as we do that, we will never perish. Friends, how are you and I going to have that kind of faith? <laughs> well, we need to trust and believe what Jesus has said. So much so as to act upon it, see? And when we do that, not presumptuously, but by faith, we're told we will never perish. It's not that God doesn't want to help. It's that we tie His hands by our unbelief. And so in order to overcome sin, we must contemplate Jesus, especially the closing scenes of His life, and this leads us to repentance. You know, to change our mind about sin. And so we repent. We're then led to confession. And so we confess our sins to God. We then must choose to take that third step. And by faith we come to Jesus. We claim the promise there of John 6:37 that He will not cast us out. We then receive then, friends, the Holy Spirit. And we become a new person. We become converted we become born again. We are baptized then by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. And then we go on and do the, the outward baptism as a witness to the entire world that we're a changed person and we're changed by Jesus Christ. That's why we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't end there, does it? And I know that many of you agree with me to that. Overcoming sin doesn't end there. Oh no, friends. Our life goes on, doesn't it? We continue to live and each day brings its own circumstances into our pathway. Right? What then? What do we do after we've taken these steps? Well, we continue to take steps. We abide in Christ. And this is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15. Let's look at John 15, verses 1 to 8. I mean, you could read John 14, 15, 16, 17. This is what Jesus is talking about. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If ye abide in me, and my words... What did I say about God's word? There's power in God's word, right? He gives us power through his word to become the sons of God. And this is what he's talking about. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So in order to overcome sin, friends, we got to continue to abide in Christ. And not just abide, because there were some who, uh, some branches he talked about, who were in him, they were in the vine, but they weren't producing fruit. They were pruned away. So in order to overcome sin, we got to continue to abide in Christ. If we do continue to abide in Christ and, and take these steps and step by step walk with him on that pathway, we will be producing fruit. So what do we do after these first steps and we're born again? Well, we continue to walk with Jesus. We continue to take steps. Let's go to another one of the steps in overcoming sin. Okay. So we continue to walk with Christ. Let's go to Matthew 26. Now, this is the record of the great battle that, that uh, Jesus had with the devil that started there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to notice what Jesus prayed on this occasion. There's something here that is vital if we want to uh, understand how to overcome sin. Matthew 26, verse 39. Remember there, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, he, he separates himself from all the disciples except his inner core. They go to another spot. And then he separates from them. And he, and he tells them to watch and pray. Watch and pray. And then he get, goes out by himself. And this is where he is, there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 39 says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And that was the first incident. And then you, he, you read the second incident uh, of um, three verses later. Verse 42. It says again, he went away again the second time he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And then the third time it says there in verse 44, And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. That is, the same words that he said the, the first and second time. Now, as we think about this, what is the main thrust of these petitions that Jesus is making in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
Well, he surrendered his will to whom? He surrendered his will to the Father's will, didn't he? And so if you want to overcome sin, you must surrender your will to God. And friends, I will tell you, not just once. You know, one time, that kind of gets into that once saved, always saved kind of attitude mentality. But you need to, to surrender your will, not just once, but each day. And every day. And sometimes many times in one day. And this is kind of what Paul's talking about when he, he, he says, you know, pray without ceasing. You have an attitude of always having God's will in mind. Always wanting to do His will. Having that you know, communication open. What would you want me to do here, Father? We saw already there that Jesus didn't just say, Your will, Father, just do that once. We see here that He did it at least three times. That's recorded. He did it at every temptation, you see, to choose self over God. And it's very evident when you read this that the humanity of Jesus didn't want to go through with the process of overcoming sin in man's behalf. To die that death on the cross. His humanity was shrinking away from it. In his flesh, he wanted to avoid it. But he said, not my will, but your will, Father. And so, friends, we must give God our will and and never not give God our will. Because if, if there are times when we don't give God our, our will and choose His will, we risk falling for temptation and then choosing, uh, choosing sin and falling into sin. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, friends, by my own experience, that the surrender of the will of God is one of the hardest things for the human being to do. It is the battle in the human heart. Who's going to reign on the throne of my heart? That's what the battle is. Am I going to surrender my will to God's will? Oh, you know. Somebody says, I'm afraid God will want me to do something I don't want to do. Isn't that kind of the common uh, uh, reason people don't choose Jesus? The common reason they don't follow Jesus all the way? You know, I'm not going to go to God with that because I'm afraid he's going to say, this is what I want you to do, and boy, I don't want to do that. Well, that could be, of course. But I'll tell you, it's not because God wants to hurt you. You see, God is constantly working for your present and eternal good. You've heard me say it before. God always has your best interest at heart. Always. That is what we see at the cross. But sometimes, friends, sometimes what is good for you is not what you want. That's not what you like. You parents, anyone who, who has children, have you ever had that experience with your children? What is really good for them is not always what they want or what they like. Friends, I'll tell you, a fresh example of this, just take a, an honest look at what's happening with the youth in our country right now. We're seeing the results of giving a child everything they want, and so when something happens that goes against their, their will, their desire, they lash out. 
You see, because they haven't learned anything about the true action of the will. They haven't learned anything about consequences of choosing your own will over the will of God. You see, their whole life all they've learned is to feed self. And not yielding their will to God is one of the great reasons that there are so many Christians that suffer failure in the Christian life and in their walk and in their battle with sin. They want to be in control of their own will. See, But it doesn't work that way. They're not willing to yield their will to God and say, Lord, whatever your will is for me, I'm surrendered to it. I'm willing to follow it even if, even if it is completely opposite of what I would think. You know, God doesn't force our will, friends. So we must choose to submit to Him. And if we want to overcome sin, we must submit our will to God and then we can defeat the devil because we then get the merits of Jesus who has defeated the devil, you see? But we've got to submit ourselves to God. We have to, to want to do His will and give up our own. Notice what it says in James 4 and verse 7. And I'm sure you've heard this many times and you've read it. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But the first thing you've got to do is submit yourself to God. You have to give up your will. You have to choose to do His will. That opens up that opens up the armor for you to put on and then to resist the devil. When that happens, when you submit to God, you can withstand the devil and he will flee from you. Let's go to John 12. Let's go to John chapter 12. Let's look at another step in, uh, in overcoming. Let's look at another step in overcoming sin. Now, this is another step in the life of Jesus about how to overcome. And if we're going to overcome, the only way to do it is as Jesus did. Remember? Remember that two-letter word? As? As he did. As Jesus did. John 12, verse 25. Jesus said here, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus said, if you want to serve me, then you need to follow me. What does it mean to follow? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, verses 25 to 28. This uh, uh, talks about this same subject, you see. He said in verse 25, and he, he's speaking to his disciples here. He says, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his, his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I didn't just, you know, I'm, I, I'm 
God in heaven. I didn't come down here to earth as God so you could serve me. He said, I came to serve. So what does it mean to follow him? It means that you're going to live a life of service because that's the life Jesus had. You're going to live a life of service to others. Not only a life of service, but did you notice that it said uh, to give his life a ransom for many? So not only a life of service, but also to deny yourself for the good of those who you are serving. That's what it means to follow Jesus, friends. That is the way to overcome. Follow Jesus by living a life of service. In other words, a life of self-denial. A life of self-denial. Another step, step by step, we go here in overcoming sin is found in John 14. And like I said earlier, you know, read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. This principle is reviewed in those chapters over and over and over again. But in John 14, verse 15, we know what it says. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I touched on this the last time we were together. If you chose to follow Jesus, and and as you study his life, especially, remember, we read the closing events in his life, you begin to realize that all of this was done, not just for the world out there, but it was done personally for you. Then something happens inside of you, you see. It is true that you, you can't force somebody to love you, can you? But when you study the life of Christ, and again, especially those closing scenes in his life, you begin to recognize what it means, and you begin to recognize how much he loves you. Because he did it for you. When John said God is love, that's what he's talking about. A selfless love for each one of us. Let's go back to the book, The Desire of Ages, page 22. It says, Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love Him. His character must be manifested in contrast to the character of Satan. This work only one being in all the universe could do. Only He who knew the height and depth of the love of God could make it known. Upon the world's dark night, the Son of Righteousness must rise with healing in His wings. And so as you study the love of God, you start receiving more of it. And the result is more consistent devotion and obedience to Him. Obedience that is not the result of love, friends, really isn't worth anything at all. And it's not really obedience. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Overcoming sin means you obey God in all things from a heart of love. And like I said, without God's love as the motivation, there really can be no true obedience. You cannot overcome sin without the love of God in your heart, friends. You're not going to be able to do it. Another step that Jesus made uh, very clear to his disciples, I need to wrap, wrap it up here if I can, quickly. Well, I know I can. I need to get to it, right, friends? Another step that Jesus made is found in Matthew chapter 20, 
verses 22 and 23. And that is that the overcomer will endure the baptism of suffering. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Remember he's talking to, you know, John and his brother, the sons of thunder. And they say unto him, We're able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Well, what baptism was Jesus talking about? Well, I'll tell you, he wasn't talking about the baptism of water. He was talking about the baptism of suffering. The Apostle Paul says in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, Though he were a son, speaking of Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And Peter says the same thing. He says the same thing in 1 Peter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2. He said, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Back to submitting your will to God's will. So if you're going to be saved, you've got to be willing to endure the baptism of suffering as a follower of Jesus. And that is part of, friends, really that's a part of the process of sin, sin coming out of your life. That's a part of overcoming sin step by step. There will be some pain involved, believe me. But it's worth it for Jesus, friends. Well, here's the last step I have for you uh, this morning. It's in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Genesis 3 and verse 15 says, And I will put enmity... Now, this is God there in the Garden of Eden speaking to the serpent after the fall. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, you may look at that you know, on the surface and go, what, what kind of step is that? What does that have to do with overcoming sin? You know, what is this step? Well, friends, let me tell you. Overcomers have something that must be overcome. Hence, there is a conflict with it. Wouldn't you agree? Look at Revelation 12, verse 17. It says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And who are these people? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So when you study the life of Christ you find that his life was a conflict here in this world. In fact, what was the cross all about? What was happening at the cross? I'll tell you what was happening. The devil was trying to torture Jesus to force him to sin. That's what he was trying to do. And the Lord said to him, in effect, you can do whatever you want to do to my body, but you cannot make me sin. 
You see, friends, there's a whole religion out there that's going to take over the world. And they think that cross is just an, an instrument of suffering, that we just have to suffer. There's no really real reason behind it. Well, they say it's for our sins. We've got to suffer for our sins. The cross was not just an instrument of suffering, though. It was an instrument of conflict. And if you want to be an overcomer, you must engage in the conflict. And Christians that don't want to engage in the conflict, I'm going to tell you they will never be overcomers. You do not conquer without a conflict. That just doesn't happen. So you must be willing to battle temptation. You must be willing to battle against self. You see? You must be willing to walk as Jesus walked. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's a battle right there, isn't it? And follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I'm going to sit here on the porch and stay out of the conflict. Well, you may gain the whole world, but you're going to lose your soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So quickly now, as I wrap up, here is how to overcome sin step by step. I have ten steps here. Now, there are other things that, that are involved in the life of a Christian that are in the Bible. We may get to them down the road a bit. But here, here are things that they are really important. First, step one, look up to Jesus and contemplate his life, especially the closing scenes. Second step, repent. You change your mind about loving sin because you're looking up to Jesus. Third, you confess your sins to God. Fourth, you choose Jesus. See, and then you're baptized, you see the Holy Spirit. Five, you walk with Christ. Remember he said, follow me. You walk with Christ, you exercise faith every day. There's power in his word. Six, you submit your will to God at all times. At all times, friends. Seven, you esteem others better than yourself. That's what Jesus did. He esteemed us better than himself. He came down here to die in our place. So you, you become a servant like him. Eight, you obey God's commandments from a heart of appreciation and love. In fact, that's the only way you can be obedient. Number nine, you expect. I'm going to tell you, you better expect it. Jesus said, if you're on my side, the world hates you. So you better expect it. So you expect and endure the suffering process that cleanses us of sin. And ten, you engage in the conflict against temptation and the devil. And the Holy Spirit leads you to do just that, friends. And so do you want to do you want to take these steps, beloved? Do you want to be an overcomer? You know, your eternal destiny is at stake on whether or not you overcome. In fact, I think it's more critical now than it's ever been in the history of the world. 
And you can overcome. Even if you are the weakest person on this planet. You know, think of this. We've got, what, 6, 7 billion people on the planet? And there is one person on this planet who is the weakest of everybody else. It could be you. could be me. But that doesn't matter, you see. If you are the weakest, you can overcome through Christ. You just have to follow the directions found in His life and trust Him. Have faith in Him. Commit yourself to Him. And friends, I ask you, will you make a commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm willing to pick up my cross. I am willing to follow you and be an overcomer. Are you willing to do that? Well, friends, if that's your commitment, if you want to make that commitment, let's pray and make a commitment now to the Lord. Let's not wait. Things can change. Things can happen quickly. But let's... Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us take these steps. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so much for your love towards us. We thank you that you sent your only begotten Son to come to this world and show us there is hope, there's a better way, there is a way possible for us to overcome sin, that we are forgiven, that we can have the power to beat the devil, And so, Father, as we studied the Word today and seen these steps, we commit our lives to You. We repent. We've changed our mind about the world and our old self. We want to go a new way. We want to walk Your pathway. So we confess our sins. We ask forgiveness. And we choose Jesus. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come into our hearts and help us, strengthen us, fill us with love and peace. And prepare us for what's soon to come upon the world. And help us to be a shining light to all around. And all this is possible through Christ. We thank you so much for him. With our whole heart, we thank you for him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.